0: Welcome to Reframe and Reset Your Career, a podcast to help if you're looking for a job, feeling stuck in your career, or just trying to rediscover your why. I am your host, Harsha Borelessa, and this podcast came from my passion for neuroscience and psychology, and their interaction with career and personal development. I will be interviewing recognized experts and successful professionals, and asking them to share the insights and strategies that have helped their careers thrive. Implementing change is not easy and does take time, but I do hope that their stories will inspire you on your path to greater success and fulfillment in your career. Here are some highlights of today's episode.
1: Uncertainty is a certainty. How attached are we to outcomes? How do we review our relationship with failure? Failure and invention go hand in hand. If you make mistakes, you know ultimately you're getting information from that. It's a feedback loop. You're getting information and more perspective. You're learning by virtue of the trial and error. Not making assumptions about what will be or what has been or how you view the world, impermanence
0: and yeah. transience and change. It's a constant. Thank you so much for joining me today on part two, episode 48 of the Reframe and Reset Your Career podcast to continue our discussion with the amazing Roger Spitz. As a reminder, Roger is president of Tech Essential, Climate and Foresight Strategy, and chairman of the Disruptive Futures Institute. In part one, we discussed Roger's successful career in banking and the venture capital industry. As former global head of technology M&A with BNP Paribas, Roger advised on over 50 transactions with deal value of $25 billion and raising $2 billion in capital. He launched the bank's US M&A practice in San Francisco, having built its European technology and digital investment banking franchises in London and Paris. In part two, we will be looking at the work he is doing with Tech Essential, the Disruptive Futures Institute, and some of the themes from the four guidebooks that are being published on the Definitive Guide to Thriving on Disruption. Welcome, Roger. Great to be here again, Harsha, and look forward to diving in. Thanks. Um, so moving on to Tech Essential, and actually, it, it, is that from Existential, Roger? Is that where it came from? Because I was just trying to figure out where that name comes from.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's exactly that. So tech essential is a, is a foresight practice, futures and foresight field. And we can talk about it a bit later, but basically I'm quite interested in existential philosophy. <clears throat> and I'm quite interested in also existential risks and existential considerations and the impact of technology on decision making. So I kind of thought that tech essential, which we then derived into tech essentialism is basically. Existentialism 2.0. So existentialism or existential is really, you know, human decision making, the human con- being human in the world. What's our existential human condition with agency, freedom and choice? And tech essentialism is like existentialism 2.0. It's existence in the 21st century, but in our technological world where we no longer just have an existential, but an existential and technological condition. And therefore decision-making is kind of shared. Humans don't anymore have the exclusivity on decision-making, it's shared with algorithms. And so tech essentialism or tech essential is exactly a play on existential and existentialism.
0: Okay, fantastic. And then you also um, have set up the Disruptive Futures Institute. So how does that work with tech essential? Um, Are they sort of two arms of your work? Yeah, and th-
1: thanks for asking. So, tech essential is a foresight practice, so it's more advisory. So it might be that I'm, you know, not necessarily writing reports, but it's a foresight practice. I might be on boards or work with certain committees, or so it's kind of advice driven. Disruptive Futures Institute is really an education platform, whether it's publications, whether it's courses, talks, executive education, so. The way to think about the Disruptive Futures Institute is really a educational
0: platform. It's good to know that distinction. But but I really like the backstory of how you came across Lydia Zuin. And she's the um, collaborator uh, on your four guidebooks on the definitive guide to th- thriving on disruption. And I just love the whole idea of how you you know came across her, you saw that you had these complementary strengths, and I think that's it's really a uh, useful insight into the world going forward, because you know you have these different generations in the workforce, and rather than sort of viewing each other with suspicion, if you can sort of work together. It's so much more powerful. Um, so so for me, when I was launching the podcast, I went to somebody who is mm-hmm. you know, a few years younger, who had a better idea of podcasting and how to do that stuff. And clearly, because they had uh, done it a number of times for them, you know, it's very straightforward. But I added a, a different value to the process. Um, yeah, Would you like to tell us a little about, bit about how you and Lydia met and, and combined? Because I think it's just a, a great story.
1: Yeah, it is. It is a great story. And, um, you know, I couldn't agree more with your, your anecdote. I think I learned more today with a, you know, millennium or yeah. Zed or whatever generation than uh, than I do from a kind of a CEO. Um, <laughs> but um,
0: yeah, stay away from those guys unless on. they give you some money. I know, right?
1: <laughs> exactly. Good thinking. Um, and in fact, I'll come to Lydia in a second. But for, for the anecdote on that note, you know, as part of uh, the the institute i set up what we call the relearning advisory board to make it real and in that i have you know six or seven youngsters less than you know 20 years old across the world and you know young girls men um, um and basically i have them to bounce ideas they reread certain things i interviewed them and that and i learned a huge amount it's like a kind of shadow informal board kind of thing um but coming back to lydia um i had been thinking about these topics for some time around trying to understand nonlinear change trying to understand what was happening in the world and i was feeling that basically over the past few years society humanity was kind of unprepared to understand the true nature of the complex, non-linear, non-predictable world. And the velocity of change, I was finding, is something people just, when, the, our brains are not cabled for nonlinear, for exponential. And you saw with a pandemic that basically, you know, the institutions that are meant to protect us or guide us or educate us are not necessarily that effective. And even before the pandemic, I was concerned about the impact of this change, people understanding it, having tools to deal with it, and understanding that it's not necessarily a bad thing, disruption or change. And I was doing a talk on science fiction as uh, for innovation, and Lydia who at the time was in Sao Paulo, now she's in Malmo, Sweden, she's a science fiction writer and also a futurist, works on emerging tech, Um, very, very clever, interesting girl, and she basically was told by a mutual acquaintance that there was a talk and that it might be worth her listening into etc and so we reached out after that she's also a journalist and so she did an interview and so I talked about at the time the platform Disruptive Futures Institute what I was trying to do and as we started exchanging I was kind of looking for partners because while I thought there was value in my decades experience and my perspective and the things I was learning and my um points of view I knew that I wanted to kind of broaden those and, you know, a middle-aged white man who kind of destroyed the world, I just felt had more of a limited vantage point um, than if I got someone else on board and and many other people. So,
0: don't don't say say that, Roger, you're a good guy.
1: (laughs) I try, I try, but <laughs> and even if I am, you know, there's the there's the limited, I know you're yeah, what, what joking, you do? but the you know, the <laughs> Exactly, can't do much about it. But the diversity of perspectives, I don't treat it just in a kind of coming back, you know, more more to the core, but I don't treat the diversity of perspectives just in a kind of HR or in a tick the box or kind of being appropriate for society. The diversity of perspectives is very important because in the nonlinear complex world, there are unknown unknowns. And therefore, if you just rely on experts, on things you know, there, there are no right answers for many things. And so the diversity comes into play, not just to to kind of, perform some social function or or appropriateness or whatever but it really is the only way of surviving today with unknown unknowns and so Lydia brought for me she was kind of a few decades younger living in a different part of the world although I know Brazil very well my wife's actually Brazilian she worked on humanities she was doing a PhD in humanities which she's finished now Dr. Lydia and great for her she understood emerging tech she was a futurist write science fiction very creative and Basically, I thought that it would be a great partner to to help me construct the frame, the structure, to reread stuff and that. That didn't prevent us from speaking to probably literally hundreds of other people and getting a very significant amount of input by many people. But basically, day to day, that complementarity for me was extremely valuable in terms of trying to our earlier point of being you know, relevant
0: yeah no, and I, I just love that because I think, yeah, I mean, clearly, look, you know diversity, equity, inclusion, those are very important points. But I think what is more important is that, sorry, in in terms of fairness, but I think for companies, Mm -hmm. you need different perspectives to add value, to to give different perspectives, to solve these unknown unknowns. So there's a fairness element to it. But Mm -hmm. I think what a lot of companies are missing is that you're losing out on so much value you could be creating by not having a a diverse workforce. Um, I, I think that's, the more important thing, but but going on to your sort of, um, think article that, there was an ink article that you you did with Lydia. I mm-hmm. love this quote from it where you said, "It is the players who challenge um, assumptions and ask new questions that beat incumbents in, in innovation." Um, and I think that's so important. And can you maybe talk a little bit about how science fiction can help innovation? Uh, thanks for that. And and it, it's linked to
1: the earlier point you, you were talking about, which is, of course, inclusion and diversity and equity is, is essential for society and for functioning and for, for, for being right. And, of course, there's a nature element to that. But, indeed, what a lot of companies don't realize is that it's actually a strategic element for the reasons we've mentioned. And that's where science fiction comes into play, because the diverse perspectives mean that you're less likely to rely on the assumptions of the way things work. You're going to have an outside perspective. And so it's the asking the what-if question. If you have just people who are cabled the same way, their what-if question is going to be, what if it grows at 4% instead of 2%? As opposed to thinking what if um, a chip could be the operating system of a car in the same way as IBM at the time didn't realize that by giving Microsoft the operating system and the software, that that would be dominating the market and the hardware was no value. That's what's happening to the automotive industry. And that's where companies like NVIDIA are asking the what-if question where 80% of the value of the car is from programming. That's what allowed Elon Musk and SpaceX to commercialize at scale and democratize space launchers. That's what allows the Beyond Meat um, or Impossible Burger impossible foods to beat tyson or 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 jbs in terms of alternative protein it's it's the diversity of perspectives that ask the what if question so to answer your 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 point with lydia and this is where it's it's great the synergies and the combination of our perspectives is and we didn't devise this um design fiction is is well known um by, by by some i mean well known it's not mainstream, but um, in Silicon Valley and by innovative companies. And it's a combination of science fiction, design thinking, and futures and foresight. And it allows you to really ask that that the, the imagination for the so what question. You're challenging, you know, what questions you're asking instead of trying to find the right answers. You're challenging the assumptions. You're reconciling the long term and the blank sheet of, you know, what if, and you project Completely far away, an outside view to then back think about how it would work. So you're unconstrained by financial or technological requirements that hamper creativity because you're really injecting craziness. You're really imagining, you know, the imagination is beating analysis. And what's interesting with this design fiction process, we wrote another article which just came out a few weeks ago in Fast Company, was that we've actually used it in real life with a lot of companies. So it's not just one of those anecdotal things. It's companies actually use it to, to be very innovative um, and to, to help the imagination and the inspiration.
0: I love that other article you did because really there is a process to this. And what you're trying mm-hmm. to think is, okay, what what am I trying to achieve in the future no matter how crazy that is? And then effectively try and reverse engineer. And I think that's a really clever way of thinking about it. But also I think, even in terms of careers, you can use that sort of concept about thinking I'm here now, I want to get to there. Say I'm starting off as a a, a Mm -hmm. solicitor in a law firm. I want to be a partner. What do I need to do to get to be a partner? Obviously, I need to be able to like build the following, have uh, intellectual um, capabilities. Uh, I need to be able to um, create revenue. So effectively, then you reverse engineer and think, okay, what are the small steps that you need to take to get to that position? So I think this mm-hmm. whole idea of you know, uh, science fiction or, or design fiction, it's so um, applicable to all our lives that we can actually use it on that micro individual level i mean what what do you think roger yeah i listen
1: totally because ultimately the challenge is often the ideas and the imagination right and i know that today you know technology or silicon valley can have a bad name but it's it's often because we we forget how much we maybe take for granted and i'm not being a pro techno you know i couldn't you know but but ultimately, things like drug discovery, things like you know a lot of the healthcare, some of the, the things around climate, some of those are driven by by technology, you know, and supported by technology. Maybe helping the educational systems become more kind of immersive and relatable for for younger generations and that. So we can't knock technology. But to your point, technology is not the be all and end all. Imagination is not related to technology. Imagination is really for everything. And it applies equally, indeed, to to your careers. And what's challenging is this discontinuity where you take a blank page, where you think of um, what the Japanese called mujo, beginner's mind. And so the thing about beginner's mind is that it's it's very helpful to have that blank page. And it's very helpful to, to kind of imagine beyond in a discontinuous way, But then to your point, the idea is how do you do the backcasting to build a plan from today? And so what processes like design fiction help you is that they help you both with that blank page, the beginner's mind of imagining something completely new or different, but they don't leave you then high and dry with, okay, great idea. Now, how do I put it in motion? And they kind of help you with what we call backcasting, which is you have this kind of vision of a preferred future or futures, how do I then go back to today? Because only today exists in terms of informing decision makings today with concrete action.
0: No, I just love that, Roger. And, and actually, there's, there's so many interesting things coming out of your work. And, and one thing I really like is this whole idea of you know dealing with uncertainty and having a mindset to deal with uncertainty and always almost being you know, comfortable with discomfort. I mean, what, what, what do you think, Roger?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a major theme of our work because indeed the, the the books we wrote are the definitive guide to thriving on disruption. Disruption is, in a sense of you know, discontinuity, so non-linear, non-predictable, um, non-controllable, and you know, and the uncertainty is a feature of that, right? And in a way, we take quite or we try to take a, a practical but also philosophical perspective to it, which is if you reframe disruption and uncertainty and just consider that to be a constant there's no such thing as uncertain times there's basically always yeah, exactly <laughs> impermanence and yeah. transience and change well, it's a constant you never you know Her- heraclitus you never put your foot in the same water twice one because your foot is changing and two is because the water is changing so the only uncertainty is is you know s- uncertainty is a certainty and the way we we think is important to think about that is is earlier discussion we had on the um, on the first part which is around agency and empowering us to understand that it's because of unpredictability it's because of thanks to uncertainty that we're able to create ourselves to create our essence so we exist in the world and then we build our essence it's you know what, what people like jean-paul sartre or heidegger um consider. And so that's what allows humans to have agency, freedom and choice. If we couldn't choose, if there was no uncertainty, it's because everything was predetermined. We would have no choice. <laughs> and so it's it's really getting comfortable with this idea that it's you're free, you make choices, you invent So whether you're looking at art, whether you look at morality, whether you look at technology, whether you're looking at your life itself, every area has creation and invention that you're empowered to to action by virtue of the world being uncertain. And that is something that should be intuitive, but it's not the way we're cabled.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I I think that's such an amazing point you're making there, Roger, that I think sometimes we it's almost as if we're in the matrix and we're plugged in and we see the world in a particular way. And you have to unplug yourself. Um, and because I, yeah, I, I totally take this point. We are much more free than we realize. Um, I mean, you know, clearly you need to you have know, somewhere to live, you need to eat some food, etc., mm-hmm. etc. But actually. Beyond that, um, you know the, the monetary aspect. You can alter your lifestyle to a certain degree, but I do think that idea of freedom is is so important. Um, and I think sometimes we are sort of tied to these assumptions or thinking this is the way that life is meant to be. But I, but I also think, um, you know, say in life, it's about um, and and these the things you've been talking about Buddhism. It's about you know, being attached to the outcome, and I think. Yeah, many people they fear act, taking action or they fear asking because they fear failure. Successful careers and also successful lives are really based on managing failure, managing setbacks, and really thinking and bouncing back from failure.
1: No, no, that's for sure. And just maybe to to add to the earlier comment around subsistence, of course, a lot of the world has no choice. Clearly, we're talking about a subset. Of the world, the the Western world—it's still many billion people, and it's the world we interact with most day to day. I'm not so for sure; it's not representative of every single person in the world. Yeah, and and indeed, yeah. yeah. And but even within the those that are kind of you know different levels of of different type of careers and and welfare and 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 that, I think that one still has to degree choice as to how one decides. To, to to make money or not, what level, how we choose to use it, how we choose to spend it, how much we yeah. save it that? So, indeed, once we kind of reduce it to a subset, which is still many billion people and, and a big portion of the Western world, their choices around all that. And with those choices, I think it's interesting to, to, to connect it to your question around, you know, how attached are we to outcomes? How do we review our relationship with failure? Because I think it's a very Western thing. And, again, I'm not just saying this as a Westerner, Although I was born in South Africa, but I, you know, in our work we were advised by a lot of specialists on you know Zen Buddhism and Eastern philosophy and many different cultures and parts of the world. And I think there is a Western element of perfectionism, the schooling system where you're valued for answering very well a known question for which there's already an answer, not making mistakes, doing things in a perfect way, etc. And you know, failure and invention go hand in hand, and Ultimately, you need a lot of failures. Darwin itself, humanity is evolving by its mistakes and by its survival on those mistakes. And that's what creates the resilience. You learn from the mistakes to your earlier anecdote, uh, or maybe it was last week when we talked about the uh, the podcast, you know, if you make mistakes, you know ultimately you're getting information from that. It's a feedback loop. You're getting information and more perspective. you're learning by virtue of the trial and error. And in a complex world, what's important coming back to, to, to the nature of our world is that not everything is known. They are unknown unknowns. They are not necessarily answers to everything at a point in time. So there's a discovery process which is emergent, and that's to do with trial and error. So that's why countries like Israel do so well. And, you know, of course, putting aside the, the, the challenges yes. and political aspects and that from a Technology perspective, an innovation, a and creativity, and resilience. It's a country which really thrives on on disruption. They understand the value of of failure, of making mistakes. The educational system is informal, where they try a bunch of things in a junkyard and and test things and hurt themselves and. And that is what really brings value. And then you think about the Western world where you're protected from things, where you just, you know, in Israel, they'll try and find answers to something that they're told is impossible, for which there's they haven't even been asked the question and for which there's certainly no answer. In the Western world, you're going to be tapped on the back to answer very well a well-known question with a well-known answer. So that is really the crux of failure and the very important thing for me, and this is why we have our institute, is that in our complex world, which is indeterminate, you have to fail, you have to emerge, you have to have a discovery process, you have to try things because there aren't answers for everything. There are complex challenges we don't know how to deal with, societal, um, and en- energy, climate, etc. We could spend hours unpacking it, but there is probably no bigger Aspect of appreciating and reframing how we think about failure from the educational system to governance to, to everything.
0: I just love that point. You, you must have come across Carol Dweck and her obviously the growth mindset. Oh. Like, you don't have to get everything right. Uh, and actually, look if you if you know, obviously you need to know a certain amount of knowledge. Now, clearly, look, I don't want to go and see a doctor who's trying to wing it when you know, make stuff up. So clearly you need to know, know things. Mm-hmm. But I think beyond a certain point, um, you also have to have this attitude about, okay, I'm going to try things, but just because I, I fail doesn't mean that it is a failure. It just means that there's that one leg of the decision tree which hasn't worked out and I need, need to move somewhere else. So I, I just love, love that point you're making. And 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 also I think you touched on this idea of uh, Shoshin or beginner's mind um, you mm-hmm. know, when you're looking at, innovation and reframing problems. Um, and maybe you could talk a little bit about that, because I think that's a, a really interesting concept.
1: It is an important concept. And, you know, maybe to, to to touch upon that, and also to wrap on the previous point around experts, because, you know, the debate around specialists, experts, generalists, and to your point, the doctor not winging it, I I find... One of the most helpful frameworks I found is by Dave Snowden, and it's called the Kynivan Framework. It's not Kynivan from the Welsh, but it's C-Y-N-E-F-I-N, I think, Kynivan Framework. He makes the distinction between complicated and complex. And basically, complicated is that there are known unknowns, there's a range of right answers, cause and effect can be understood ex ante, and that's how you send a, a probe to Mars. It's how you fix a plane. It's to appoint the medical science doctors, and their experts are needed, and that's essential. And so, it's not a dismissive of that. That's key for complicated, in complex, there are unknown unknowns. It's emergent. You only establish causality exposed. They're multi-directional drivers, and you, you know, it's how the Amazon River or the amazon is built if you build a hotel there how will the rest of the amazon change that's not that's more it's in flux it's constantly changing it's dynamic and it's for those unknown unknowns complex environments where indeed you need shoshin and beginner's mind and a lot of our world we like to think it's all complicated and rational and plug and play but a lot of our world and our biggest challenges are not we've seen it with climate a lot of it is we understand scientifically what's driving the climate issues, and that I'm, you know, I'm not a denialist, That is science that is dictating the issues we have. Yes. But science is not yet able to say if you do this, this is how it will happen, how quickly, exactly where is There's still a lot of discovery around some questions, some of the world's challenges today as to exactly what the best approach is. That's what's, that's the movie Don't Look Up, is based on that, is that some of these big challenges don't have a straightforward answer today. And so in that case, you need beginner's mind, because beginner's mind is what will allow you to not assume that something is impossible, to challenge the assumptions. Why can't we cure cancer? Why can't we um, produce something that doesn't emit um, carbon? Yeah. And and basically, Shoshin is what allows you. It's it's actually, for the anecdote, why the Wright brothers, who were not as competent in terms of technical training, um, as a competitor, I think it was Samuel Langley, who had a big award or whatever in the early 1900s. And it was the Wright brothers who were the first to develop it because they used Shoshin and beginner's mind. And so you want to... Understand the limitations of, of what you know, the assumptions you're making. You want to understand that the futures are open, that maybe you can achieve the impossible. Um, you want to understand the impact of non-linearity in the world, that if you make assumptions and or have fixed assumptions and you don't have the beginner's mind, the beginner's mind allows you also to anticipate unanticipated events for the good and for the bad. Maybe, you know, the falsity of the imagination is why we're creating the wrong things or producing in the wrong way, etc. So, long story short, this idea of Shoshina and beginner's mind is really linked to kind of first principles, to the assumptions you make about the world and to being able to operate in an emergent way in those zones and environments where they're all straightforward predetermined answers.
0: And 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 just a, a funny personal anecdote, Roger, so before I started podcasting, um, I, you know, I love mm-hmm. you know, listening to interviews, I watch a lot of YouTube videos, but I wouldn't say I'm a big podcast consumer. And the podcast literally came out of lockdown, um, recording an interview with a friend, which seemed to go quite well. And this is literally two years ago. And around the time of recording, sort of four days ago, I I happened to appear at number 25 in the uh, UK career podcast on Apple. Now, if I had thought about this is where I want to get to right at the beginning, I would have thought, my God, there's no way that I could ever achieve that. But by not thinking too much about it and not thinking this is a hard process and having that beginner's mindset, then clearly all these other complicated things, which could have arisen and stopped me and I could have procrastinated, almost be naive, but just ask the questions. Because I think a lot of times people are too afraid of looking stupid when actually they really should be asking the the relevant questions. So I just love the point. You're making. I, th- I think that's fat- fantastic. But sort of moving slightly on away from my my own podcast and ap- Apple charts. But I-, I love this idea of uh, mujo or impermanence, because I think that's so powerful, because clearly the world is changing the whole time, you know, where we are changing, we're aging, um, you know, time is passing by. And say, you know, if you're in a difficult situation at work, or in your career, or in your personal life, I think you know, one, one way I, I think about dealing with that is trying to reframe the problem and say to yourself, look, clearly at this point in time, things are not working out, things are not going well, but it does not have to be like this forever. You know, eventually it will pass. I must
1: nonetheless congratulate you on the earlier point and on the podcast. And it's uh, it, it, so congratulations on that. And I must also say, I'm a big fan and we mentioned him quite a lot on the book of one of your former guests, Christian Bush. Yes. And to your point around mujo and Beginner's Mind, I think there's an element um, around serendipity, which I think if I'm not mistaken is, is you know, a big focus of, of um, Christian and whom I don't know, but I've, I've read his work. And, In that beginner's mind, there's a structure, in a way, paradoxically, to serendipity. So there are parts of serendipity which you kind of just let happen, but you also, at some point, need to know how to connect the dots. Um, But... To to transition now to the question around mujo and impermanence, whether you're you're in a tough spot or in a good spot, I think it's a point of context, right? And so the shock with with disruption and change for a lot of people when they're in a good situation is how things can reverse and maybe you become less relevant at that time. But it works both ways. And this is the great thing about um, our indeterminate world. So the fact that disruption or change or uncertainty is a constant in a way, is simply playing to, to impermanence, to mujo. So, you know, whether it's George Harrison's All Things Must Pass, or whether it's the Buddha, you know, um, don't dwell in the past, do not dream of the future, but concentrate the mind on the present moment. In the end, things are constantly changing. So, so really, it boils down to not making assumptions about what will be or what has been or how you view the world, experiencing the world in an emergent way, understanding that it's transient and understanding that that's not necessarily a bad thing because it also means to our earlier discussion that it gives you agency and it's an empowering the fact that things are transient. Things can change and it works both ways, incidentally. We use disruption or change or uncertainty in a neutral way. It's not necessarily good. It's not necessarily bad. It's just the state of the world. And so the more you're tuned into how the world really is and aware of that, the better you might be, the less disconnect from surprise or shock or change, because you have a frame on the world which is imperfect, which is impermanent, which is transient. Um, and you take that as a kind of something you can leverage on to create, to build, um, to continue to build whatever you want it to be, to continue to create, to not be put off by something which people tell you are impossible, um, or to not be you know, unduly negatively affected for a situation that might feel sticky at a particular point in time.
0: No, I just love that point. And I think really it's about looking at the reality of the situation and you know, your perspective and the way you perceive things. Because I do think there is a way of, you know, you can either look at the world and, uh, it, it's it's against me, nothing is going to work out, or you can frame it in a particular way that, okay, that maybe that, Encounter didn't go that well, but then the, there's the next encounter which m- might go better. And I think mm-hmm. don't judge the the present by the past. So yeah, no, I, I love I love those points. And also, I think this idea of um, these elements of software development, which you can lead to sort of be to your life. This is really one of the most important concepts, I
1: think, and it's all related to to agency and to to being empowered and to really not minding or having an issue with the world being um, changing all the time or uncertain or disruptive it's it's this idea for software that basically you can either spend you know 10 million dollars five years working on something which you have no idea how the effect will be when it confronts the real world or you can kind of beta test it release it and benefit from the feedback loops don't get me wrong. I know it's a sensitive topic. I'm not saying that one should be rogue, um, that you can release any software without anticipating the unexpected consequences. Of course, you need all the right thoughtfulness before releasing it. But let's stick to the analogy, which is the following. In your life, when you decided to do the podcast, when I started to do a few courses on, on AI, on futures and foresight, on, on these topics, I was exploring new ecosystems. And basically... In the same way as for software, you're building new suites. I was expanding my options by building new suites of possible experiences, relationships, capabilities, knowledge. So so there's an aspect of expanding your your suites with that. There's an aspect which is disrupting yourself. If you're beta testing, it's because you're not sure it will work. You have a version that is maybe functioning, but you're choosing to tweak it, maybe for improvements, maybe for more functionality. So there's an element to draw the parallel with beta your life for the software, which is you know to accept that even if things are working okay and fine, you might be disrupting yourself. It's what I did when I decided to start thinking about a different career, reinventing myself. It was a conscious, intentional choice. I wasn't forced to, but I kind of did that in the same way as you would beta uh, software with something very different functionality before releasing it. And the other thing is to create stacked models you're kind of in 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 technology there's the convergence of different things ai with um machine learning with automation with maybe 5g with whatever which is allowing certain capabilities and likewise um you can connect different areas of expertise unrelated aspects and make them synergistic so you can have stacked kind of innovation from that um, you're creating beta versions. you you know, you try certain things, they confront the real world. It doesn't matter for a lot of them. They're reversible decisions, and you're just testing it with a few people. you're doing a podcast, you see whether people like it, et cetera. You're incorporating Slack. so in software, Zoom, when they were able to scale so much. During the pandemic, at the beginning, it's because they created Slack, even if it's unnecessary. So instead of being hyper-optimized, where you're busy every single minute of the day, where you're not doing anything else, where you're putting all your resources and your time in one thing, you're creating buffers and Slack for serendipity to earlier discussion. You're updating your intangible. Software is an intangible. You're updating your intangible. What are the soft skills? What are the personality traits? What are the knowledge I have? And then you're exploring in safe sandbox. So our discussion about failure, you're trying things, you're testing, you're failing. You think, okay, that are not intended to harm anyone, that you're just trying out a few things. You're exploring them in safe sandboxes. Um, in the same way as, as software does. And finally, there's an element around developing new business models and maybe even distribution strategies. How do I get to the market? How do I use platforms? Network effects, what you're doing with your own distribution and podcasts and getting out there. So these are kind of the eight or ten elements which I think you can beta your life in a sort of drawing a parallel with the way software beta a new version of its software.
0: No, I just, I just love all those points you're making, and I think it's really about trying to, you know, be the best version you can. And 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 I think you know, sometimes in life people are, you know, you comparing themselves too much with with their peers and uh, other people. And actually, really, it's about being the best you can. And as long as mm-hmm. you're improving a little bit every day, I think that's the key thing to having a meanif- meaningful and successful life. You know, don't compare yourself because you don't know what that other person is going through, either the advantages or disadvantages. Just look at yourself. If you can get a little bit better and make these small steps, then I think that's a, a huge win. Um, so, yeah, I just love all those points. And that, and I'm sort of moving on to one, one theme that I I sort of brought up with you uh, previously is this whole idea mm-hmm. of time and 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 two books that I love, uh, Roger, are The Great Gatsby and The Remains of the Day, and they both you know focus on this whole idea of time, getting time back, changing the past. And I've always been fascinated about that because look, clearly time is going in one direction. You know, until we get that time machine, there's nothing really we can do about that. But I, I do believe that you can be strategic about time, about how you use your time and work with it rather than against it. Um, I mean, what, what do you think, Roger?
1: Yeah, so time is a is a key consideration for for anyone in the world, no doubt, and it's it could be a long discussion just on that. And as a futurist, one of the considerations is that we extend the time horizons we think about. And then we have the kind of challenge of bringing that to to today, because the only reality that exists is is today. But one of the frameworks I find very helpful is the three horizons framework um, from you know in the futures field, and this is different from McKinsey's, which is more sequential. But the three horizons in the futures field and um, is one where basically instead of saying okay, this sort of short term, medium term, long term. You're bringing them all at, in the present with decision making today, and it's like the, the distinction in Greek of time—the difference between chronos and kairos. Chronos is sequential time, and and you know, in one year it will be in one year, and then that will pass, etc. Kairos is that idea of windows of time. It's really that idea where you. You know, at some point, you might have a window for something which might be helpful today or in in 10 years and that. And, you know, to kind of wrap up the the podcast, um, you have an exploration and a discovery. And at all points, you're dealing with the first horizon of today and what the world looks like. The third horizon might be how you envision it longer term. And then in the middle, it's a transition and and changes is messy. So the transition phase is often messy and it's a discovery process. And that's why you need to emerge and you might fail, et cetera. But if you explore and discover in in the first zone, you're actually doing things which might ideate and you might be planting seeds today for things that are in horizon two and horizon three. In horizon two, but later, you might at some point, prototype or test some of those seeds you're planting. And they might work, they might not work, they might redirect, it might be messy, you might stumble, but you're learning from that. It's it's actually very helpful. And that helps you prepare and decide whether you make a move to certain things which might be longer term aspiration. And then it's only when you decide to execute a plan, which is longer term, and if it's an irreversible decision, that the stakes are high so i think the key thing for me and how i try and think about life is always think about long term and the vision and the aspirations but constantly feed in ideation planting seeds discovery process exploration today and then at some point in the middle there's a messy prototyping and testing and then if you decide to bite the bullet but at least compared to just having looked at the world in a more kind of sequential way or or singular way, you're looking at multiple possible realities and allowing you to kind of play with the different horizons of time.
0: No, I just love that, Roger. I think those are all fantastic thoughts. And yeah, I I think our time is coming to an end now. So really appreciate you taking the time to have this chat. Um, And how how can people catch up with you, Roger? And 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 also, look, you've got these four books. um, Are they all published now at the moment? Or are they coming out soon? Uh, Would you like to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Great, thanks for that. So I think the easiest is... Under the Disruptive Futures Institute, it's intentionally meant to be more outward facing. It's meant to be educational. We try to be as active as we can on social media. We're very active on LinkedIn. So just follow the Disruptive Futures Institute on the different channels. And that's from a content perspective and a following perspective, great. And we're on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, everywhere. Then we have indeed the four volumes. They're called the Definitive Guide to Thriving on Disruption. The two are two, three are out um, as we speak now, and the last one will be out in February. The first one is to understand the foundations. How do we make sense of our complex, nonlinear, unpredictable world? The second gives you frameworks to deal with uncertainty and unpredictability. The third one is actually very related to this topic. The third one is really beta your life. So from an individual perspective, how do you as an individual manage change, think about complexity, think about disruption? And the fourth one is from a business perspective. How do you leverage on disruption to create value from a strategic governance and business perspective? And so they're all available either to download as ebooks or Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc. to purchase physical copies.
0: Brilliant. And, and, and Roger, you, you yourself are on LinkedIn and Twitter and these various platforms, aren't they? And people will be able to find you on there. Uh, Unfortunately, you've passed your 30,000 limit. So you can't have connect. (laughs) So you'll have followers, which is an impressive achievement. And, and Roger, one final thing I like to offer my guests is that is there anybody particular in your life who's helped your career or you'd like to give a shout out to? Um, I always like to offer my guests that
1: yeah, no that it's it's a great question. I mean, I think I would you know it might be a little bit formulaic, but I'd probably put my you know my parents in the in the bundle. I think they you know both of them in in their different ways allowed me a certain kind of freedom and experimentation and travel, which I didn't really fully realize it at the time, but over the years made me realize that that's kind of what allowed me to become who I am today, probably. <laughs>
0: Fantastic! No, that, that, that's a great note to end the the show on. So, Roger, thank you once again for all the time um, that you've given us today, and and trying to test this two part approach. Um, and and also, uh, it's nice to hear that you like Christian's work. And we'll definitely try and put the two of you guys together. And there's another chap who, who knows, Christian Alex Budak? He's a teacher at Berkeley who's who writes about wow. change making. So I think, you know, um, it'd be great. And, and I think the, the, the really nice thing about yeah, having these interviews and discussions is that you're getting people coming together from sort of slightly different fields, but with a similar sort of outlook on life. Um, and it's this mm-hmm. whole idea of creating community, building connections. So yeah, just love that. So Roger, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy the rest of your day. I think you've got plenty of it. We're coming up to the end of ours in in London. But thank you once again for your time. Thanks, Roger. My pleasure. Thanks for having me and congratulations on on the show. Cheers, Roger. Bye-bye. Bye for now. Thank you so much for listening and staying to the end. That was such a fun interview. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, please subscribe to the podcast, which is available on your favorite providers and subscription is free. If you wish to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, please take a look at the show notes, which are available online. Thanks once again for listening. Wishing you success with your career, I hope you will join me again in the future.